This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for December 31st, 2020. Josh and Kurt talk Flash Player, starting with its history and why Apple CEO Steve Jobs didn't support it on the iPhone. Plus, why Flash support ends in 2020. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing fine. I'm going to wish you a happy new year. We're recording this on December 30th and releasing it on the 31st. So this is the last time we will see each other virtually until next year, until 2021. That is true. So happy new year. Yeah, happy new year. I wonder how many people are never, ever going to write 2020 on their checks next year. (laughs) You know how the first couple of weeks people are always writing the previous year. I think people want to get rid of this year, don't they? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. I um, Even looking at uh, headlines and things, people are like, good riddance 2020. It's like, it was a year. I mean, you know, it's not like the, it's the year's fault that all these things happened (laughs) during. No, but we're going to remember this year. (laughs) Yeah. Today, December 31st, the day this episode is published, is the last day that Flash Player is supported by Adobe. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to stop working. Um, if you have Flash Player, you can still run it. No one can stop you. But there will be no more updates. There will not be any more updates. Security updates are over. If I had a nickel for every time we mentioned on this podcast in 168 <laughs> episodes that, you know, update Flash Player, don't use Flash Player, use Google Chrome if you need Flash Player, I could buy, I don't know, a new iPhone maybe. Yeah, it's it's definitely something that we've mentioned quite a few times. And, and also, if you've been following the blog for many years, uh, we've covered it so many times. I, I don't even have any idea how many different articles we've put up on the blog since its inception. It's definitely been a recurring theme. But first of all, with um, Flash updates and the, the need, critical need to get them installed, and then eventually with Flash Player malware, which we'll, we'll talk about in a moment. Speaking of updates, I, I have this question for you, and maybe you understand why. Microsoft always releases its updates. Is it the first Tuesday of the month? Second Adobe Tuesday. has a spe- second Tuesday. Adobe has a similar schedule. Why do these big companies do that sort of release date rather than release things when they're ready, especially if it's security updates? I think the main reason is that uh, they want, especially with Microsoft, the the traditional thing I think was they wanted to make sure that there was a consistent date so that these big enterprise companies that were using their software would know, okay, we need to plan for uh, for testing updates on this day and then actually starting to deploy updates on this day. Um, so they could be prepared for it. Um, and then I think with Adobe, the reason that they eventually decided that they were going to adopt that same Patch Tuesday that Microsoft has, um, I think the idea there was we're trying to get focused on security and we think that that's probably a good idea because Microsoft does that. It didn't really work out very well for them um, for a little while <laughs> because right around the time that Adobe made that decision, they had so many vulnerabilities that they were patching much more often than just once a month. 
Exactly. And that's why I asked the question, because they would often release out-of-band updaters. Right. So instead of that one Tuesday a month, there would be, you know, urgent updates uh, that, that we would – that I remember on the Intego blog were reported. So it was so important they couldn't wait until the next Patch Tuesday. Right, because a lot of these things were actually being actively exploited in the wild. Like, it was discovered that, uh, you know, websites were uh, – for example, they would have Flash-based ads – and then somebody found a way, you know, to exploit a vulnerability through a Flash-based ad, and they would sneak it onto the the servers that would would provide these ads on websites. And then you could go to just about any website that happened to have Flash ads, and you could actually get infected if you didn't have the latest version of Flash Player. Yeah, Adobe said at at many times that Flash was available on more than a billion computers. It may have been the most widely available I, – I, I don't want to say software because it doesn't work on its own. It's a plug-in in a browser, um, but it may be the most widely available software tool maybe of all time. Perhaps, yeah. I think the only thing that might rival it would be Java, which is also available on billions of devices, they say. True. And Java works on mobile devices. So we're going to get to that. I want to start with the early days. So I've got an article on the Intego Mac security blog called The History of Adobe Flash Player from Multimedia to Malware. Now, you're a lot younger than me, but you probably remember about the time in the 90s when all of a sudden we started getting multimedia. You remember the first CD-ROMs? Oh, yeah. You've got a screenshot of the Encarta 95 Encyclopedia, which was a CD-ROM encyclopedia. And yeah, I remember that. There was also, I remember World Book 95 too. And I think I also had the 98 edition that, I, if I remember right, I feel like World Book 95 and 98 came with certain Mac models, if, if I'm not mistaken. I'm pretty sure there was a time when Apple was bundling them, when they had a deal. I was in France at the time, so I think it was a different encyclopedia. But I did get some encyclopedia like that that wasn't in Carta. But I did get it bundled with my Mac. In fact, that was actually a big selling point. Once we got to the iMac, um, which had a built-in CD drive, that was a selling point for Macs. They would have promotions like that. Yeah, yeah. But this was really exciting to have CD-ROMs. I was seeing things about this in the Mac magazines. It's like multimedia instead of just text and you know simple stuff. So you mentioned Encarta. We only saw this stuff on CD-ROMs. We didn't have the bandwidth. We didn't. You couldn't fit them on floppy disks. And if you bought um, games, and, and I mentioned one game, Myst, which we were talking before the show, it, it's really the only computer game I spent a lot of time with, but I found it really fascinating. That was actually built on HyperCard, not on Flash. But in the early days, you had two platforms, which was Apple's HyperCard and Macromedia's um, Director and Shockwave. So Director was the authoring platform, and, and Shockwave was the media playback platform. A company named FutureWave Software, which was founded by Charlie Jackson and Jonathan Gay in 1993, they were first messing around with some drawing software, and then they decided to make a vector-based animation tool to compete with Macromedia Shockwave. Now, this is really interesting. If you don't know the difference between bitmap and vector images, a bitmap image, every single pixel is described, a vector-based image is something where you're describing points and relationship between points. So you can have a really complicated image or even animation. If it's vector-based, it doesn't take up a lot of space. And this meant that what they were building was something that could eventually be distributed on floppy disk and on the internet. 
Oh, that you know, that's interesting. I hadn't really considered that too much. I mean, most of the time when I'm thinking about, um, you know, bitmap and, and vector images, I'm thinking about it in like the context of today's world. But that's true. Yeah, when when uh, vector imaging really started to become popular, um, we were still concerned about, you know, storage space and a bandwidth to download images and things like that back in those days. So that's really true. Um, and uh, vec- vector images certainly can take a lot less space. And the great thing about it is you can infinitely zoom um, and, you know, you can see it uh, full screen and not get these weird, you know, pixelated things that you have with, uh, with raster or bitmap images. So the company released what they called Future Splash Animator in May 1996, and it was quickly adopted by major websites, again, in part because of the bandwidth. Um, MSN, there was a Disney website, and very quickly later that year, Macromedia bought them. Remember Macromedia, who made Director and Shockwave? They said, well, here's a competitor. We're going to buy them out. But Flash was a lot better than some of the other alternatives, including Director and Shockwave, which did stick around for a long time. In 2000, they developed ActionScript, which was a language. So instead of drawing each frame, this would allow you to script it. And if we think back now, these things were really revolutionary. Now they're just banal that you, you know, when you're developing a game, you make a couple of points and it just automatically does it. Um, This was a big change back then because you didn't have to do each frame, each cell. You could script things and you could make much more complicated content. Uh, And this is when games started appearing on Flash. Right. And this is something that, I mean, every game now has has actions that are scripted. So it's interesting to like go back in time and, and take a look at when these things really started to become popular. Uh, now we just sort of take it for granted. Um, you know, you want a character to, to interact based on certain things that are going on in its environment. Scripting is like the way you do that usually now. So the big change with Flash, in 2005, Adobe bought Macromedia essentially for Flash. They didn't care about the rest. Um, they added Flash to Creative Suite. And the biggest thing that happened in 2005 was YouTube was formed by three former PayPal employees. I didn't know they had been former PayPal employees. I found that interesting. And they adopted Flash to display videos on the website. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really glad that you wrote this article and, and dug into all the, the his, historicity behind all this Flash stuff. Because I had forgotten. I can't, I can't believe I forgot that YouTube was originally Flash-based. But yeah, I totally remember that. It wasn't even really that long ago that they were still using Flash. Um, and then eventually they shifted to HTML5. And so they don't require you to have a special plugin in your browser anymore. Um, but right, but that's right. Yeah. In fact, that was probably one of the main websites I think that really encouraged and almost forced flash adoption because people started using YouTube. And, uh, even if you weren't playing, you know, children's games and, and, uh, or some like semi-casual games online, um, where, which often used flash, uh, YouTube was really the other thing that I think really drove flash adoption. Well, it was YouTube and then it was Facebook because remember all those Flash games that were on Facebook and videos as well that were shared on Facebook. And that's one – because Facebook wasn't as big yet. I believe it launched to the public in 2004 um, and they adopted Flash pretty quickly. But if we just go ahead a couple of years, um, you can see the writing on the wall. Now, we're 2020 and – Around 2007, it was kind of clear, well, we didn't know it then, but when Apple decided not to support Flash on the iPhone, they didn't realize that the iPhone would become the dominant mobile device. 
well, not dominant in sales, but still the most important. And well, that's pretty much what killed Flash. The, in 2010, um, Steve Jobs wrote this letter called Thoughts on Flash, which just lays out all the reason why they didn't want to have Flash on the iPhone. And by 2010, the iPhone had proven itself. And Adobe was really smarting by not being on the iPhone. And Jobs was very clear. It's not reliable. It's insecure. It hits battery life. Performance is bad. And Flash started kind of just disappearing slowly, very slowly. Um, later that year, YouTube started using an experimental version of HTML5 on their website. In 2015, they switched that entirely. So we don't remember, but from 2010 to 2015, I think you had to have a plugin to activate HTML5 on YouTube. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I feel like there was some sort of toggle that they had on their website for a while, so you could choose which one you wanted to to, uh, to view in. Yeah, okay. So we're going to take a break because that's the history of Flash, and then we're going to come back. We're going to talk about Flash and security, which is the main reason why we're talking about Flash today. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2021. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier, powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, personal backup to keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Big Sur and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts. So, Flash and security. We talked about updates. We talked about the need for out-of-band updates. We, we mentioned the 2010 period with Steve Jobs' thoughts on Flash. I, again, doing research for this article reminded me of a number of things that I had forgotten. In 2011, Flash Player was no longer included in Mac OS X. And that actually was a problem because, remember, Flash Player was a browser plugin. Um, with the exception of Google Chrome, uh, which has Flash kind of built in the browser, you would have to download it and you would have to update it yourself. And this is why... Other than just normal flash vulnerabilities, the biggest problem with security and malware is that people would get tricked into downloading Flash Player updaters. They would go to a website and it would say your Flash Player is not up to date. Now, sometimes these would actually be legitimate messages from a website that Flash, if the Flash Player plugin was too old, it would display this. But more often, these were just to trick people. Well, the whole idea behind this, um, it, it actually followed along with another trend that had kind of uh, started around roughly around the same time where people would um, put up these alerts in, in your browser that would pretend that you had all these viruses. And so they would get you to download and install this fake antivirus software. 
Um, and this fake Flash player was pretty much the same thing. Um, and and this is what's interesting about this is that that's that fake Flash player thing that shows up in your in your browser. You sometimes get redirected to it when you um, you know maybe click on an ad or click on a link in a Google search result or maybe click on a link to download something. Um, sometimes you get redirected to uh, these fake Flash player. Um, pages where the whole page will will pop up with something that says you need to update your Flash Player, download now or install, and then as soon as it downloads, it'll often put a little bouncing arrow or something showing you where it uh, where to click uh, once it's downloaded, and then um, once you get it installed, of course it's not really actually Flash Player, and so you get an infection. And, and it was the same thing with these fake antivirus software um, apps that happened right around the same time you would uh you would install it it would tell you you have all this malware but it in fact was the malware well but but some of them would tell you you had malware and get you to pay 39 dollars. it would claim it would be getting rid of the malware and pretending that it corrected an infection that didn't exist (laughs) right exactly and sadly a lot of people um even would give their credit card numbers i mean how else would you pay for it right i mean bitcoin wasn't uh if I'm trying to remember if it existed then, but it certainly wasn't popular then. People didn't know about Bitcoin. But the fake Flash Player malware really stuck around where I don't really see too much of this like fake antivirus stuff anymore. Um, but the fake Flash Player thing is still going on today. And I'm really curious to see whether that continues into the next year um, because Flash Player's not going to be a officially around anymore. So the big change was 2011 when Integer discovered Flashback. And this was malware that created a botnet. A botnet is a network of computers that can be remotely controlled. Um, It can be used to send spam. It can be used to launch denial of service attacks to take down websites. It can host child pornography. There's lots of things it can do. And at one point in 2012, it was estimated that 10% of home Macs were infected with this. Interestingly, we reported early this year in January that it still seems to be infecting about 10% of Macs. Yeah, that was a pretty surprising statistic uh, because you would think that that would have gone away. You know, the, this Flash Trojan horse um, still is a is a thing. Um, flashback itself is 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 basically gone now, but Flash based malware or malware that's pretending to be flash is still a big issue. Um, most of the time, uh, this will be detected by Intego software as Schleyer and, and Schleyer is, is a newer variant, but on the same theme of fake flash player malware. And, um, Schleyer is just a little bit different in, in how it actually installs the SH part of Schleyer comes from it being a shell script. So this is just something that goes on in the background where it's sort of like, um, running something in terminal, you could think of it that way. It's running uh, sort of arcane commands to initiate its processes. So interestingly, in 2012, Apple released a specific flashback malware removal tool. I think that's the only time that Apple's released something specifically for malware, isn't it? Well, they do have um, something that they call the malware removal tool that um, they update on on a regular basis. But um, from what I recall, I think that was the only time that they specifically were targeting one type of malware. And then I think that probably... Well, this was before the new malware removal tool that uses what we call the X-Protect um, definitions. Yeah, this, I think this evolved into what Apple now calls its malware removal tool. But it started out with just being right. a, a, a flashback remover. 
So 2016 was a busy year, and I just noted in the article four types of malware that Intego discovered, Ocean Lotus, Install Core, Silver Installer, and Mac Downloader. I still want to do an episode on malware names one day. So there were so many security vulnerabilities in Flash Player that Apple started blocking older versions of Flash Player in Safari. Yeah, this was a pretty cool thing because this was an improvement on Apple's XProtect technology that was built into macOS. And uh, it previously had just been used for the purpose of blocking specific known malicious downloads. That was the intention of XProtect when it launched. And it was not a full-fledged antivirus. There were a lot of things that it just wouldn't protect against. Um, It still, to this day, doesn't protect you against things like, for example, uh, macroviruses in uh, Word and Excel documents and things like that. Um, but there were some specific pieces of malware that it would prevent from getting onto your Mac. But XProtect then was expanded to also block outdated versions of Adobe Flash Player and also Java, um, which for a period of time was also a really big vector for getting infections on your Mac. If you had an older version of Flash or an older version of Java, Either one was very likely to be targeted by, you know, web-based malicious attacks that would try to get malware onto your machine. So uh, going back a year in 2015, a number of things happened. Um, Facebook called for Flash this demise. Mozilla disabled it by default in the Firefox browser. And even the BBC, I found a story that they ran, that they were moving their iPlayer platform. That's how you watch previous uh, BBC shows. They were moving it to HTML5. And a Wired article from the time was Flash period, must, period, die. It said Flash is officially more trouble than it's worth. Here's how you can kill it now. Yeah. so here we are in 2020. In 2017, mid-2017, Adobe announced that Flash would reach the end of its life today. It's two and a half years. That's a long time. But I guess it's fair because there were a lot of developers that would have needed to updated things, and that wasn't too much of a, a hurry. Well, yeah. Okay. And there's a lot to unpack there in what you just said. But I, I think um, one thing that's worth pointing out is that Steve Jobs is widely recognized as a visionary, but I think um, the whole not wanting to support Flash, not ever supporting it on iPhone, and killing uh, support for Flash Player um, eventually on the Mac by starting out with not just ha- not having it pre-installed. I think that was a, a huge step um, toward Flash's demise. Um, but I think... I think that seed that was planted with, um, you know, not including it, any support for it on the iPhone and Steve Jobs open letter in 2010. I think that really led to a lot of others in the industry to really start thinking about it um, in a different light and to really realize what a potential problem this was. Um, The other thing you touched on there was that Adobe really gave a long period of time before Flash was officially going to to die, right? Um, They announced in 2017, but it gave an end of life at the end of 2020. That seems like a really long period of time. Um, However, I I know that there are a lot of websites that even today still use Flash, and and a lot of these are education-based websites. Um, you know, especially for like kindergarten through second grade, for whatever reason, that seems to be sort of the sweet spot for a lot of this, uh, flash based, um, education software, uh, or education websites. And 
even today, like a lot of these sites still have not transitioned to other technologies, but I think that may be part of the reason why Adobe wanted to give plenty of time is because there are a lot of smaller developers that um, it was really going to take a lot of effort to figure out what platform would make sense for them to switch to. Um, for some people, HTML5 might have made sense, um, but HTML. But you've got to learn a whole new language and a whole new development environment. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. And, and Flash Player um, really, for a lot of people, it had a, an interface that was very comfortable to use. Um, it had just a lot of technologies that made sense for the type of thing that they were developing. And to transition to something else was going to be very difficult for a lot of developers, especially small developers uh, who didn't have the backing of a major company where they could just, you know, hire somebody else to, to re program things. And, uh, and I think that's why we're still in the predicament that we are today. Um, for one thing, Adobe kind of dragged it out for a long time. But then the other thing is that a lot of websites are still using Flash. Um, I, and I say a lot. It's really not a lot in the grand scheme of things because you don't see Flash-based advertisements anymore. Um, there are these niche websites that are still using Flash, though. Let me give you an example. Sure. Um, I'm I'm interested in classical music, and I go to a lot of websites of different artists. And there was a period where there were developers who were making websites for classical musicians all built around Flash because it was easy to include multimedia content, like, you know, clips of music, etc. And I've seen a number recently that are just can't be looked at and the musicians probably just don't have the money to update them right money or time or whatever it might be but and really on something like that where it's it's just a simple like you know player or something where you can just start uh listening to a music file you can do that e really easily actually with html5 that that's like one of the simplest things to do yeah, but but if you've got, you know, think of the Flash interface where you've got buttons to click and it changes the the, the images and you may have um, effects like wipes and fades mm -hmm. and things. That's a little bit harder to do. Sure, yeah. I, it, right, exactly. Like a basic player is really simple, but making it really fancy and looking like the Flash experience that you're used to, yeah, that's a bit more complicated. One takeaway that I get from this is that not only is Flash dead, but the browser plugin is dead. Now, it's been years that um, Safari has gone to extensions, and they only recently went to extensions that can only be downloaded from the Mac App Store, uh, which gives Apple a lot more oversight on this. So if you're not a registered developer with an extension in the Mac App Store, you simply cannot have an extension anymore. And this really protects us a lot. I don't know about you, but I remember back in the day, there were maybe a half a dozen browser plugins that I downloaded for different things. I even remember, I think it came as a system preference pane, something called Perian, which could play back all the different audio and video codecs that you find on the web. Um, obviously, we don't need that anymore because everyone sort of adopted not just HTML5, but codecs like MP3 and AAC that are universal. But there was a period back then where there were no, th there were no winners in the war for audio and video content. At one point, I put a mention in the article, remember real audio? Do you remember that oh, one? Yeah. Well, you had all these different streaming formats and, you know, um, VHS Betamax and, and everything was competing. And now, fortunately, with HTML5 and other open standards, we have non-proprietary solutions that anyone can use that are a lot easier and a lot safer. Right. 
Man, that that really brings me back thinking about real audio player and all these things. But yeah, f- plugins used to be really essential in browsers at one point. Um, and we've certainly gotten to the point where there's a lot more standardization. I mean, it's funny because the whole web is supposed to be based on standards, right? And we've finally gotten to the point where, at least with multimedia, now, now we've got some really solid standards in place. And basically, um, you know, there's... The technology is there to be able to do just about anything you want across any browser. It used to be that you had to have, for for certain websites, they would require you to be using a certain browser. It had to be Microsoft Internet Explorer version this or whatever. Part of it is uh, support for for these standards, audiovisual and so forth. Um, You had to have certain plugins to get websites to work properly back in the day. Um, But it started to really become abused by a lot of malware makers. And so it it really became necessary in recent years to tighten that down quite a bit more. And most of the the plugins that we see today um, in every browser, pretty much every browser except for Safari, they're all uh, Chrome extensions or um, adaptations of a Chrome extension. And and, and really, even if you're using Safari, you can port your your extensions over from Chrome if, if that's where you've developed your extensions. Um, so the, there's a lot more standardization now. Um, and, and like you said, it, what Apple's doing with Safari in trying to, to protect it by not allowing third party extensions to be installed, I think is a, is definitely a good step in the right direction. Um, there's, it, it can be frustrating, I think for, for people who, um, are looking for a particular extension and want to just like, you know, import their Chrome extension into Safari and not have the opportunity to do that. Um, but it does make Safari a bit more secure in that sense. Um, so it's a good thing, I think. Um, and you know what, bringing this all back to flash, I, I think that this is, we're in a good spot right now. I think the vast majority of websites are not using flash content anymore. And, um, now we can much more definitively say you have no reason whatsoever to use flash. You should never be using flash. And it's not supported anymore by Adobe. It's not going to run in any browser. You can't even download Chrome anymore and and run Flash content uh, because it's gone. It's not supported anymore. No more security updates. That's what they say. I wouldn't be surprised if they do if they pull you know kind of uh, what a couple of other companies have done and like Microsoft and decide okay well we'll release maybe a couple more updates for that really critical thing. They might do that, but it's essentially dead, and we shouldn't trust it anymore. If you get any prompts in your browser telling you to update Flash Player or to download and install Flash Player, don't trust it because it's not from Adobe, it's not legit, and it's just something trying to infect your computer. Okay. Until next year, Josh, stay secure. (laughs) All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you'd be so kind, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.